we grow pound boxes of offerings every year. But you know, it's not about doing an offering. It's about doing our lives. It's about letting God do what he wants to. And I can say it's truly a joy to be here today as you have updated and, and, and uh, renewed your sanctuary and other things. Uh, your pastor has posted on Facebook and so I sort of followed along, and, and can I say this is a beautiful place to worship God in. Amen. You know, we've experienced something we've never experienced before in the last 14 months. COVID has changed our lives. It has brought about mainly negative things. But you know, God, is still in control. And I think we forget that sometimes. We don't have the answers. We don't have the power to change this situation, but we serve a God who does. In 1968, we went to the Congo in Africa as missionaries. And uh, when we got there, they changed their assignment. We were going to start the youth program. But they said nobody is here available to reopen the Bible school, and we need to train pastors. And so you're it. And I always <laughs> remember that and, and, and chuckle a little bit because, uh, you know, as Bible school students, we, we, we sometimes uh, were kind of brash and, and, and dumb. And we'd talk about what we're going to do. And, you know, some of our professors were not always the best. And so some of the students were so good. So one day, I'm going to teach here and do it right. And my thought was always this. I want to be in real ministry. I want to be a preacher. sort of like the little rabbit that went out to play. And he came out of his burrow and he looked both ways at the road there and ran across into the field on the other side. And when it was time to eat, his mother came out. And she said, hey, Junior, come here. It's time to eat. Now that's preaching. Now what is preaching? Mother came out and she said, my son, come. It's time to eat. <laughs> we sometimes make a big difference between the two, but I thought it was kind of funny that God had that sense of humor after I said, well, I want to be in real ministry. I want to preach. When I get to Africa, I'm reassigned to Bible school. You know, sometimes we're ignorant. We don't know how to do things. And I've never been in Africa before. 
I've never seen all the animals that I've seen in the zoo out in the wild. And because we were in the jungle, in the rainforest, there weren't a lot of things that were available to us. Now, we could buy Pillsbury Fed flour in 50-pound bags, and it had taken two years to get to us. And so when my wife baked bread, she would put one nylon leg inside the other, so it was double layer, put the flour in, and then sift it to get out all the weevils and bugs that had, had made their home and were, were eating on the flour. And we could buy sugar the same way in plastic. But it was one solid lump. And so you took a baseball bat and you beat it before you ever opened the bag so it would somewhat get thrown into little fine crystals. And the other thing you could buy for weevils was glue bands. You say, what's glue band? Well, I think at best you would call it uh, margarine at best. But we opened it up and spread it on the sweater, cooked with it, did all that. Oh, there was one other thing we had to buy. We had to take a rope. And it was good to take a rope because it came in a can like we used to get coffee, you know, and you had to roll the band around it to get the lid off. And so it was sealed. It was good. But there wasn't much else available. So when we went shopping, it was get in your car and travel for three days from sun up. And when you're on the equator, it comes up about six in the morning. The sun goes down about six at night. And so it was only 400 miles for three days, 12-hour days to get there. So we didn't go shopping very often. You know, if we shopped once a week, it was three days to get there, a day to shop, and three days to get home. I would have accomplished nothing else. So ladies, think about this. We shopped once every six months. And when we'd been there about six months, my wife said, hey, we need all of these things. And she had a nice list. And, and then I was repairing buildings because there had been a rebellion and uh, my predecessor had been killed by the, by the rebels. And they had destroyed a lot of buildings. So I, I had a list of things that I wanted to get. And then we had a little dispensary, a little clinic. And they had a list of medicines they wanted. And so as I prepared to go, I had several of my African brothers say, hey, we'll go along with you because they too could shop and get things. However, I looked at those three lists and said, there isn't room for a passenger. And, and you know, when I bought everything, including metal roofing, that was up on the roof rack with a few other things that could take the, the, the rain and the sun. But I had it in the back of that station wagon 
all the way to the windshield on the passenger side, and it was just a place for me. Now, friends, that was my first mistake. You never travel alone when you're making a journey like this. If your car breaks down and you have to take two days to get somewhere to get parts or help and two days to get back, by the time you get back, it's not worth it. Why? Because the wheels will be gone, the seats will be gone, parts will be taken off the motor, maybe they even cut pieces out of the, 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 the body to make metal parts. I didn't know that. I've never been there. So I went by myself. After a couple days of shopping, I headed home. Someone said, there's a shortcut. Now, it'll cut off about four hours of travel. And I thought, that sounds good. What I didn't realize is it wasn't a road. It was a track. You know, just two ruts. And it went through elephant grass that was eight to ten foot tall. And so you had no right. You had no left. You just put your car in the track and you went. I also didn't know that only about one vehicle a week went through that track, so if something happened, I mean, I was, I was really stuck. And I'm going through, and I'm, I'm, I figured I'd get the thing out of there. The joy of the Lord is in here. It's got to get out. And I'm, I'm going along, I don't know, singing, whistling, whatever, when I frightened three rhinoceros. And they came out of that big, tall elephant grass and turned on the track in front of me. And I sometimes have strange thoughts. And it flashed into my mind in that moment, how fast can a rhinoceros run? I mean, if you've ever seen a rhinoceros they, they sort of remind me or make me think that when God was done creating all the animals, he took the leftovers, put them together, and said, we're not rhinoceros, you know. They got these short, stubby little legs. They got this huge body with a, with a skin that, that's like armor plating. Got a couple of horns on that funny big head that sticks out there that I think would make their front heavy. And they're not very bright. And so if they get angry, they charge, whatever it is. I mean, cars, trucks, even trains at times. Of course, they don't win that battle. And here are three of them running down the road in front of me. So I pulled up behind them. I began to honk the horn. I wanted to see how fast they could run. And I mean, I was having the time of my life playing cowboy to three rhinoceros. I never did find out how fast they could run. The, the, the track was so rough, I, I couldn't get much over 20 miles an hour. And they were slowly pulling away from me when all of a sudden, the biggest one in the rhinoceros' day between three and four pounds. The biggest one 
slams on the brake, turns around, and looks at me, and then charges through the crowd. Now, what do you do when something that's twice as big as your vehicle, or heavy, is charging you? You, you can imagine them hitting the grill and it hitting the radiator and then two, both of them hit the engine. And the first thought that popped into my mind is I can start a charge, right? But I'm in a little town and tell people I ruined my speed-to-light vehicle chasing rhinoceros. You know, in that moment, because there was no other option, I began to pray. Oh, was I glad that I had done that. I said, oh, magnificent Lord, sitting on your throne in glory with the angels singing around. No, you don't pray that way when you're in trouble. Now, that was a long time ago, 1968. I can tell you the prayer I prayed word for word. Dear Lord... Stop that thing. I'll never chase another rhinoceros. And amazingly, it stopped about 10 feet in front of my car. And there it stood, trembling in rage, looking at me out of two little round eyes. And I sat there holding the steering wheel, trembling in fear, looking at that rhinoceros. And, you know, we stared at each other 30 minutes. Well, not really. It seemed that long. It probably was only one minute, but it seemed like forever. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. Prayer works. You stopped it. So I prayed again. I said, thank you, Lord, for stopping him. Now get him out of here. This after rhinoceros turned around, saw the other two disappearing, and took off after them. And I have never chased another rhinoceros. You know, I learned a lesson that day. When my world is out of control and I don't have the knowledge or the power to change it, there's a God who can. And you know, I look at COVID and what's going on in our, our world today, and I don't have the power to change it. I don't have the wisdom. I don't know how to do it, but I serve a God who does. I serve a God who knows. Your pastor told me when we talked on the phone, I'm doing a series entitled More Than Feelings, What True Love Really Is. And, and how appropriate that on this Mother's Day, I pick up that topic. You see, there's not much that can compare with a mother's love. And there's an interesting story in the Bible. And I think the kids will be up here, but if you have your Bible or your cell phone with your Bible on, in 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul reminds Timothy, or reminds Timothy, rather, 
happened with parental influence in his life. And he says these words, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your, lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. What a powerful statement that is. Today we prayed for little ones and said, parents, congregation, you need to raise this child so they know God. You know, Mother's Day, how many mothers we have here today? Praise God. You know, this is a healthy congregation. It's amazing how often you look out at the people and you see twice as many ladies as you do men. Hey, man, I'm glad you're here this morning. <laughs> Serving your God. But we're, we're, we're talking about mothers. And we honor them. And, you know, Mother's Day is one of those days that we frequently buy a gift for our mother or the mother of our children. And I don't know how many of you men have already done that. If you haven't, you need to. And I can tell you one thing not to buy. Don't buy your wife anything that plugs in. You buy her something that plugs in, and immediately she thinks that there's a task that I have to do. You buy her something else, and it may not be the greatest but it will be appreciated because you did that for her. You know, becoming a mother changes everything. Some of you can identify with this. Most mothers, first-time mothers, as soon as they come from the doctor and they know that they are pregnant, start wearing a primrose pill with them. But you know, when the second one comes along, you wear your regular clothes as long as you can until you have to wear maternity clothes. And when the third or fourth one comes along, you wear anything that fits because you don't have any money anymore to go out and buy new maternity clothes. It's amazing what mothers do. They will sacrifice for their children. They will jump out in front of whatever to protect their children. In fact, that's true of most mothers in Iwana County. You don't want to get fully in on their children. One day a man came home from work. And as he drove in the driveway... He noticed that there are his three little kids, and they're in their pajamas, and they're playing in the mud. And there were scattered toys around the, the lawn and even a couple in the driveway. And he looked, and the car door was open. And then he looks, and the front door to the house is open. And he says, 
the room is gone. And so he walks into the living room, and there's a lamp that's knocked over, and the TV is blaring on the, the cartoon channel. He goes to the family room, and it's a mess as well. And he walks into the kitchen, and the refrigerator door is open. There are dirty dishes in the sink. There's spilled food on the counters and dog food scattered on the floor. He thinks, what in the world happened here today? In fact, he's getting worried because he hasn't seen his wife. So he, he runs upstairs, dodging things that have been left on the steps, comes to the bedroom, opens the door, and there is his wife still in pajamas, curled up, reading a book. He looks at her and, and he said, what happened today? And her response was this. You know that every day when you come home from work, you ask me what in the world I do all day long. Yes. He said, I do. He said, well, today I didn't do it. All mothers, your job never ends. You know, mo mothers are many things to these children. They teach us most of what we learn when we're there to raise. And do you know, in the first six or seven years, you put the values you're going to live by into your children. That's why the Catholic Church has often said, give me a child until he's seven and he'll be a Catholic or an adult. My wife and I, before we got married, sat down and talked about what we valued and what we thought was the, the job of each of us in this relationship. And I said to my wife, to be the most important job on earth is raising children. And I know today sometimes the finances the way they are, this isn't possible. But I said, as long as we have children in the home, I want you to be in the home, a person in the home. That my kids come home and mom is there. And it's amazing how often they would bring some of their friends who were latchkey kids because mom was there. There'd be cookies there. There'd be whatever they needed there. We're down to our mothers. For a woman to be successful, she has to go out and compete in the work world. It takes a village to raise a child. And today, sadly, that is all too true. You say, why did I say that? Because babysitters, nurseries, school teachers are bringing up our children. And often, they don't carry the same values, but biblical values that you and I value. 
one of the things our small children are learning today in that village is they learn the word morality. If it feels right, it is right. No, no, no. The Bible says there are right things, there are wrong things, and you live by these rules. They learn humanism. There is no God, and you are able to do everything that needs to be done. But that's not true, my friends. They learn that man descended from apes. My question is, if that's the case, why are there still apes on earth today? Did you think about that? Sometimes I think about crazy things like that. If we descend from, why are there still apes? We live in a society that Jeremiah spoke of, a society that doesn't know how to blush. Half the children in America are born to unwed parents. Do you realize that? You know, living in, in, in a Christian community and having Christian values, we sometimes don't realize just how many children are born to unwed mothers. It's better for a mother to raise her children than it is. I believe that with all my heart. We need godly mothers and guys, we need godly fathers. Peter was saying, he said, I will teach my children to walk in the way of the Lord. Parents will stand up and say, this is right, this is wrong. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, and I use a different translation, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. We know what a good mother is helpful to our children. Not just for their physical well-being, but for their spiritual well-being. In 2 Timothy, as we, we read earlier, Paul says, I remind you of your, I made, excuse me, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you as well. Timothy had sincere faith. But it was because of his grandmother and because of his mother. A godly mother will be the first to introduce her children to Christ. Unfortunately, we men don't always do our part. Today's a special day, and we honor our mothers because, you know, they prepared food for us. They made a house a home. They bandaged our wounds. 
They consoled us when we were disappointed. They cheered us on when we were successful. And most importantly, they instructed us about how to live a godly life. It takes work to be a good mother. I'm reminded of a dad who sat down with a wedding album with his four-year-old daughter. And he went through the pictures and he explained things. And when he was done, he, he sort of flipped it back to that page that had the whole wedding party there. And he said to his little daughter, do you have any questions? And she pointed to it and said, Dad, is that the day Mom came to work for us? All mothers, we're reminded of how important you are. And you know, there are three things that we have to base our parenting and our motherhood on. First, a mother's faith must be based on the Word of God. If it's not based on the Word of God, it's not true. And so that's an important thing. Paul, during his missionary journey, his first one, stopped at Lystra, where Timothy lived. And when he was there, he heals a crippled man. The Jewish opponents stoned him and dragged him out of the city for dead. Those who had come to believe laid hands upon him and prayed, and God raised him up. And then he preached in the area, and he appointed elders to lead the church. Now he meets Timothy on his second missionary tour. And it says in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where the disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the, dis- the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem to the people today so the church, so that churches rather were strengthened in faith and grew daily in number. I love that verse. They were strengthened in their faith and God gave daily those that were saved. What does that mean? How many of you have ever heard of a shepherd who gave birth to a sheep? No, no, it's sheep who give birth to sheep. And we sometimes forget that it's not the pastor's job to win the world. It's all of our jobs. Wherever we are, 
every day we are to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, your mother and your grandmother knew the word and raised you in the church. Is that really the truth? What does that imply? That mother was a believer, but it says his father was a Jew. I think that tells us that Timothy's father was not a believer at all. He had doubts about Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 1 in the scripture we just read, it says, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. And then in verse 3 he says, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Jew. I'm absolutely amazed as I have spent so many years ministering and pastoring and I how little influence fathers have in their children. And that surprised me. Like I say, I, I, I'm just amazed that geez, we have almost as many men as we do women. This is a healthy church. But I'm wondering if it's more than just coming to church to be met. We've got a fine young man in our church. But he's in the South. And we live 135 miles from Seattle. We're over the Cascade Mountains in, in, in central Washington. And the father had season tickets to the Seattle Sounders soccer team because he loves soccer and his oldest child is a boy that is very gifted in soccer and so every Sunday there's a Sounders game they're not there and every time there's a tournament and, and today we don't have anything of schools having tournaments and games on Sunday I don't know about you, but when I was pastoring in those first years, the schools didn't have anything on Wednesday because that was church night, let alone Sunday. But they never miss a soccer practice. They never miss a soccer match. They never miss going to the Sounders games. And what is that dad telling his children? That soccer is more important than going to the house of God. Now, they don't say it, but their actions speak louder than words. And we wonder sometimes, why don't our children continue to live a, for God and attend church once they leave home? Because so often we've programmed them to say church is secondary. My friends, Church is primary and should be in all of our lives. And so here was this, this mother, and she taught her son. But 
tells us in 2 Timothy 3.15, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Who did it? His mother and his grandmother who based their life on the living word of God. on the word. And secondly, a mother's faith must be lived out to make a real impact. In the Greco-Roman culture, a mother was responsible for a child until they reached the age of seven. In Acts chapter 16, verse 2, it says, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him speaking of Timothy. What a joy when your child imitates your faith. Third John 4 says, I have no greater joy, John's writing to the church there, than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now, they weren't physically his children, but spiritually they were. Our children are walking in the truth. The godly example of these two women is you as an example to to our daughters. Timothy was a third generation Christian. And you know, the tragedy is so often by the third generation, we really aren't instilling faith in our children. Often your children change the truth, but the grandchildren don't. And I hear again and again, there's, I, I have a Sunday night service for a senior. Again and again, prayer requests are, pray for my grandchildren. They're, they're away from God. They're on drugs. They're in jail. They're in, and I'm saying, where do they follow? You people are saints of God. You know how to pray. But where did you fail? Timothy's mother didn't. His grandmother didn't. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not change from it. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and verse 4, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So a mother's faith must be, first of all, based on the word. And secondly, it must be lived out to make a real impact. It's not the words we say. It's the life that we live that shapes our children. And then there's a third point, and I'll close with this. A mother's faith is a lifelong I don't know about you, but one of the greatest compliments I think I've ever been told is when my granddaughter, a couple years ago, was getting married. 
and she said to her folks one day, I hope that Chris, and she was married, will treat me the way my grandfather treats my grandmother. Uh, as some of you may know, my wife passed away just six weeks ago. But for 13 years before that, she had dementia. And as it progressed, she was able to do less and less or remember less and less. In the last couple of years, she didn't know the names of any of her children. She just knew my name. And up to four weeks before she passed, when I would be gone and I would come home, she'd look up and say, there's my wonderful husband. And I think, no, <laughs> I'm not that wonderful, but I'm glad you feel that way. But my granddaughter said, I, if Chris treats me like my grandpa treats my grandmother, oh, I thought, that's one of the greatest compliments I have ever been told in my life. Mary Rettenmore was a dear saint who came to our seminary seriously. She lived just across the street in a nursing home. And at 102, her health started to decline. She couldn't come out anymore. And finally, the children called me, and, and they said, Dremel, Mom, Could you come and pray? And so I came, and she was unconscious. She would pass away the next day. And I prayed for her, and I encouraged her, because it's amazing how often when people seem to be unconscious, they can still hold it. And when they do get better, they'll say, Oh, I remember when you were here, and you said this. But Mary went to get her reward, but... After I prayed for her, I, I, I went out. She had a little two-room apartment there. One was the bedroom, the other was living room and kitchen. And, and the kids and the grandkids and even great-grandkids were, were gathered there that day. And the kids said to me, and, and the grandkids, all of them said, you know, Mary's faith, Mary's prayers, Mary's witnessing, and Mary's example has brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. And I wonder today how many of you mothers and grandmothers recognize the importance you have in your children's lives and in your grandchildren. And, and dads, you're not excluded either, or grandparents. What impact are you making on the next generation and the next generation? I would challenge you today to recognize that the greatest task we have and the greatest reward we have is bringing up our children and our grandchildren to walk with God.
personal questions, I want you to pass them here because he's going to join me in prayer. But I would ask, first of all, with our heads bowed, eyes closed, if there's anyone here who has never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, but you don't know how to raise your children in the way and live out that godly faith, you just lift up a hand and say, you know, today I'd like to know Jesus in this way. Because I want to give you the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ. If if you're one of those individuals, you're you're visiting here, and you'd like to give your life to Christ, make your hand up. And then I'd like to ask you, Pam, you go on down. How many of you would like to be a better example of raising up your children and your grandchildren in the faith that you inherited. How many of you are wanting to do that? Will you slip your hand up? Why don't you slip your hand up and say, you know, I could have failed along the way, but today I want to recommit myself to living out and seeking out the faith I have in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hands that were raised because I want to be that kind of a a parent or a grandparent in Lower Camino, Lord. I want to live the life and speak the truth from your word that transforms the life of my children and my grandchildren. And that, Lord, That testimony lives on. It doesn't die with me. My children don't go astray because I've set the example. I've lived the faith. I've shared the good news. Lord, I just pray you'd help each one here today to recognize that parenting is more than providing a home and and clothes and food. It's training up a child in the way they should go. It's living the life that manifests Jesus Christ. And so I pray you'd put your hand on each one that they might do a better job because we all fail. And we know we fail. And Lord, we need your help. So I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm grateful for that word that we were able to receive. Yes. I want to ask at this time if our ushers can come forward. What we're going to do is we're going to receive our regular tithes and offerings. Um, But we're also going to receive a lover offering at the same time. And how you can do that if you'd like to in the seat backs in front of you. We have tithe envelopes. If you want to designate.